there's a story about Ben Franklin from the time he was serving in France as a representative of the United States. Because of his charm and his inventions and his wit and his diplomatic prowess, Franklin was actually kind of a pop star to the French who had opened their arms wide to him in late 1776. Not only did the French later acknowledge the US as an independent country, but they approved financial and military support to the revolutionary effort. It's believed that those actions came largely about because of Franklin's efforts. Now by his own account, Franklin was not a practicing Christian. He was a deist who believed in a God who created the world and set things in motion. God gave us good minds to figure things out. He was raised in a devoutly Puritan home and he adhered to many uh, tenets of the faith with lots of his own beliefs sprinkled in. While in France, he uh, mixed with high society, many of whom were deeply skeptical of God and atheistic. But because Franklin had an admiration for the Bible, many of them would openly mock him. Oh, come on. How could you, such a learned man, find anything valuable in such an outdated, irrelevant book? He decided one evening to see how well they knew the scriptures that they so freely ridiculed. He told them that he had come across this ancient poem which had impressed him with its beauty. They asked to hear the poem, and when he read the portion of scripture that we read today, they expressed admiration for it and asked, where did you get that? Imagine their surprise when he told them it was from the Bible. This is Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19. I hear and I tremble within. My lips quiver at the sound Rottenness enters into my bones, and my steps tremble beneath me. I wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. Though the fig tree does not blossom, and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. These words are more than just beautiful ancient poetry. They need to be understood as more than a parlor trick. They absolutely are not meant to shame people who don't believe. These words are those of a man who engaged with God at the deepest level one can at a time that was tumultuous and destruction was on the way. Last week we talked about Habakkuk came to a new place in his understanding and conversation with God, which was an affirmation of reverence. Remember, he said, I stand in awe of you and your work, O God. We saw the request that he made. In your own time, Lord, make your work known again. Revive your work. Be merciful in your wrath. And also in the remembrances of God's work in the past, you came to save your people, Habakkuk says. 
Nothing had changed in Habakkuk's life. What had been altered was his heart. And today we see how the prophet expresses new acceptance, new commitment, new trust. Acceptance, commitment, and trust. More than just trite words, which can be offered to someone going through a hard time, this is a profound, profound confession of faith from someone whose heart and mind was being formed in real time by the living God in unbelievable life-altering circumstances. So we begin with acceptance in verse 16. The prayer bridge between the remembrance of God's mighty deeds and Habakkuk's words of commitment. And we want to pay attention to what is being expressed because see how he is saying how his body is responding to the experiences with God. We don't know how much time had elapsed for when the prophet began pleading with the Lord for help, protesting the violence and the chaos all around him to the end of the book we read now. There's only 56 verses in Habakkuk, and that could have been portrayed in a day or a few years. What we want to focus in here, though, is how Habakkuk is exhausted. His body is spent from wrestling with God and the interaction that they have had together. He is physically wrecked from the emotional pendulum, swinging from dissatisfaction to great praise. Can't feelings be exhausting? He has come to the end of the prayer that we looked at last week, where he was praising God for the deliverances Israel had given. Part of the remembering has also had an effect on him. The scripture tells us he is trembling. His lips are quivering. Rottenness, which means weakness, has entered his bones. His steps are not sure or strong. But it's more than that. Because Habakkuk has been in the presence of the living God. Yahweh has spoken clearly. And it has been a lot to take in. God has given hard truths for Habakkuk to hear about how Judah will be conquered. But God has spoken. And we see in different places in the Bible where God speaks. It has a huge impact on the person. Sometimes regardless of what is being said, coming into direct contact with the glory of God renders humans speechless. We see this with Job and with Paul and even the woman at the well. And when we think about those three people, Job and Paul and the woman at the well, do you know what else those three had in common with Habakkuk besides meeting the Lord in a very real way? They all had been so convinced of their viewpoint. They had argued and reacted against God in ways that made them come up short when God spoke truth, and then that truth changed them. An encounter with the living God stops us, and we feel it physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. This whole book is about the judgment of God and the lament that it brings. There are two ways that you can interpret verse 16. The interpreter's commentary renders verse 16 uh, in two ways. The first is this. Although I am thoroughly awed and frightened by the account of what God has done and will do again, I will wait quietly. 
for the day of judgment to fall on the enemy. It also could be this. I wait unperturbed. What a great word, unperturbed. I wait unperturbed for the day of trouble to come upon me, for the rising of the people who assail us. Verse 16 then is about Habakkuk waiting with acceptance for what will come. No, no longer railing against God, the prophet waits for all that will transpire. He understands he cannot control the outcome or change God's mind here. So he finds resolution in waiting. Acceptance of a situation we don't want. Acceptance of a situation we don't like is a reality of living in a fallen world. Habakkuk went through an honest and challenging talk with God where he found out judgment was coming to his nation. Sometimes living close to the Lord means that the Lord is going to show us something or tell us something, a reality about what is happening before other people see it. Especially when the Lord wants us to play a vital role in that. Habakkuk was a leader whose understanding of what God was doing was vital for the people to put their faith in him also. But how hard is it for us to give up and say that we are powerless to what is happening in front of us? This idea made me think about the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer was attributed to the influential 20th uh, century theologian uh, Reinhold Niebuhr, who used to write down prayers before giving weekly sermons at college campuses. He wrote thousands of prayers. He would just write them on a, on a sheet of paper as he was going to the college campus and then give it while he gave his sermon. Now this prayer would have been forgotten. And this prayer was forgotten by Niebuhr. But there was a woman named Winifred Weigel who was a, a W, um, a YWCA leader who studied under Niebuhr at the seminary, and she wrote down this prayer in her personal diary after hearing him speak in 1932. She began to use it in her own speaking and writings, and people resonated with it. And later, of course, it was adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous as a prayer of surrender, and millions have found solace in its words. But listen to a version that uh, Niebuhr published in 1951. It's a little bit different, but the same. But it's so beautiful and good for us this morning. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed. Courage to change the things which should be changed. And the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Living one day at a time enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right. If I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. How do we tell the difference between the wisdom letting go and giving up in defeat? A key thought for us from this book is how Habakkuk begins with the question, how long, Lord, how long? 
How long with violence? How long with injustice? How long? And then ends with, I wait quietly. He goes from an impatient prophet to being calm for what will occur next. God has spoken and Habakkuk has come to a place of acceptance. It takes stamina to wait for something terrible to happen when the timing is not clear of when that terrible thing will come. When we wait for a loved one to pass, when we wait for the cutbacks at work and know that we are going to be next, when we wait for a divorce to be final, waiting like Judah and Ukraine for the war to begin as people and generations so many places have done. How do we go on in those moments in our lives when so much of we cherished is going to be gone? In this Lenten season, we remember Jesus in the garden the night before the cross. And the expectation that he had of the suffering to come caused him to fervently pray. Pray to the Lord for a different outcome. He wished for another way besides death. His body responded with signs of anticipatory grief with sweat drops of blood. We have a savior who meets us in our agony and our waiting when God says no to the cup that we want to be taken from us. And so in those moments, may we know his presence as we wait quietly. The cornerstone of Habakkuk's uh, waiting comes from the next two verses, 17 and 18, where he offers one of the most sweeping commitments ever recorded in scripture. It cannot be a coincidence that this declaration is made after he is silent before the Lord. Listen to what Habakkuk is saying in my words. You can read them yourself. We already did. Even if I have nothing, even if there is no life, even if everything around me is desolate and failing, even if the normal course of nature fails to materialize, when there is no provision, if I am empty-handed and I have no food, no wool, no oil, because the cupboards are bare and everything around me is a dystopian wasteland. Still, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk vows to give God all glory because of who God is, not just for what he provides. We are a people who have so much, yet have to be continually reminded to be grateful. We have all been made alive in Christ, but find ourselves discontented, negative, hungry for more in the world than what we have graciously been given, and anxious when we are denied those things. We joke about first world problems and then go on to grouse about how much we lack or think we are in danger of losing, especially when we see others who we think have more. The words rejoice and exult in Hebrew are the strongest possible way to say how Habakkuk is determined to rejoice in the Lord regardless of what does or does not happen. Habakkuk is choosing to stand up in defiance to what would be complete hopelessness. 
He is saying he loves God more than what has been given here. God is the Savior who has made lasting covenant with his people, which means that we belong to God and God belongs to us. Nothing separates us. Nothing. Nothing. No matter what we have or what we lack, he is our God and we are his children. And we rejoice in the reality of what we have graciously been given, which is God himself. One commentary I read reminded us to contrast this strong statement of faith with the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. While Habakkuk recognizes the loss of daily provision and some of the luxuries of life, he believes that the promised mercies of God to his people extend beyond material losses. The entire present world order is going to pass away, but God's grace to his people is that we will endure. So how do you find these words of Habakkuk today? Do they inspire you and move you? Do they convict you or cause you to cringe? Are you totally on board with them or do you think that he's out of his mind? You see, we recognize this moment in Habakkuk's life as a formational one for his soul. It came out of an intense time with Yahweh, but being human, maybe the next day after writing these words, maybe he felt differently. Maybe he wondered why he said it. However, this statement is a commitment to the Lord. It is a solemn vow being made that no matter how Habakkuk feels, he will rejoice. No matter what is happening around him, he will give praise and honor to God for the most precious thing in life, which is God himself. This is the kind of vow we profess when we accept Christ and we are willing to leave everything behind on earth in order to know him. It is what we say when we hit rock bottom and we find God where we land. We hear this kind of exclamation from people who have been given a serious diagnosis and know they have limited time left on earth because they have found what and who is most important to them. I have heard people who have lived a lot of life and who have known true loss repeat this verse with as much fervor as I imagine Habakkuk had. The Holy Spirit leads us to this kind of vow when we have sought God in a difficult season and found him faithful. Whenever we are in a place of surrender, there is this kind of commitment to God because God is faithful and loving and sacrificial and powerful and truthful and worthy of all of our rejoicing. The last verse of this book is one of trust. Habakkuk gives a testimony of God's strength, professing how he becomes a deer and the Lord lifts him above the situation that he finds himself in. Paul says, in our weakness, Christ is made strong. God takes us to new ground as we put our faith in him. When nothing seems sure, we find Christ to be certain. Last week, we talked about how we all need to be spending more time in the invisible realm. This is where our strength comes from. That is what allows us to tread to new heights. Habakkuk is not in the same place that he was. He is looking at the landscape of his life and showing us a different picture at the end than he did at the beginning. 
In the beginning of this book, Habakkuk had a questioning heart. He was committed to Yahweh, but demanding answers for the questions that he had. As a prophet, he knew he had to keep the people close to the Lord, which meant he himself needed to be kept close to the Lord. But he wanted explanations to satisfy what he was seeing around him. But then that threatened to unravel all that Habakkuk understood to be true because God's answer shocked him and then humbled him, which brought more lament, but also a greater willingness to let go of his pride. You know what I'm talking about. The pride we have when we think that we know more than God and want everything to make sense before we can fully trust. At the end of this book, we come back to what God says in chapter 2, that the righteous shall live by faith. And we remember again how Jesus cares most about our hearts and our willingness to be humble before him. So as we go to God in prayer today, let us examine our hearts in quietness, as Habakkuk did. Do we come with fear and trembling, giving what we cannot control into the Lord's hands? Can we say with Habakkuk that if we lost everything, that we would rejoice in the God of our salvation? How is God lifting you above the situation that you find yourself in so that you can be taken to new places of his choosing? Acceptance, commitment, trust. What can we offer to the Lord today who is forming our souls in real time? Let us pray. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.